In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken through the prophet of Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the roots of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water from repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his is in his hand, and you will clear the threshing, his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized to you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Thank you, Matthew. Well, there's the question. Are you ready? If I'd asked you that last week... With Christmas close on, there may have been some panic and some who weren't ready. That's come and gone. Are you ready for 2018? What will the new year hold for you? What plans, what aims? What will be unexpected? How will you cope? The Lord Jesus Christ might come again in 2018. Are you ready for him and his appearing? The key verse of Matthew 3, verse 2, is verse 2, and it's this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And remember that if you forget all else I say. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The chapter begins, and if you take your Bibles, you might like to follow this, Matthew chapter 3, begins with the words, in those days. Actually, it's 30 years after chapter 2, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the visit of the wise men that we've been looking at over the recent weeks. 30 years have passed now. Or to put it in another perspective, it's 400 years since the last prophet, Malachi, there have been 400 silent years with not much of a word from God 
to the people of Israel after those days. And then we come to this chapter, Matthew chapter 3. And actually, if you look at the chapter, it divides up into three parts. There are three comings in this chapter. Verses 1 to 4, we've got John the Baptist coming. In those days, John came preaching. And then secondly, verses 5 to 12, you've got the people coming. People came or went out to Jesus from Jerusalem and all Judea. Many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. And then the third section, verses 13 to 17, Jesus coming. Then Jesus came from Galilee. So here's the verse that links them all. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The way to be ready starts here. Starts with repentance. Now from the three sections we've seen, I want to draw your attention to three things. First, there is a requirement. Not an option or a choice, but a requirement. The word is Repent. The message of John the Baptist in those first four verses centers around this word, repent. His clear message to all to listen. A message for us. If you want to be ready, you need to repent. Think of the messenger, John the Baptist, one of the most famous men of his day. We're not told much about him here. A little, perhaps in other Gospels, not too much. So we're told about his clothes, what he wore, camel skin garment and a leather belt, plain clothes, not like the rich robes of the religious leaders or the rulers. Garments akin to those that Elijah wore, 2 Kings 1 verse 8. And his food? may not appeal to you, locusts, giant grasshoppers. Actually, I found a picture online of a plate with honey and uh, locusts on them. I didn't put it up. I thought it might spoil your lunch after the service. But then, we eat strange things too, don't we? Well, I think they're strange anyway. Shrimps, oysters, mussels, frog's legs don't appeal to me. Actually, uh, Locusts or grasshoppers in in John's day were eaten by a lot of poor people because they were available and uh, obviously inexpensive. But here's this unusual man coming along with this message. A remarkable man, Bishop J.C. Ryle makes the comment that few preachers ever produced such effects as John the Baptist and none ever received such praise from the great head of the church as did John the Baptist, the messenger. And we see his mission here, don't we too? A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. He's a voice. He's not given a name or a title, just a voice. I think there was a program on television called The Voice when people who would be singers would sing before a panel of judges who couldn't see them, only hear them. 
John wants to be heard. One of my commentators says, refers to his master's voice. John is fulfilling prophecy, that which is declared in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Isaiah speaks of him as a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. John is preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the forerunner. That's his mission. That's what he's been raised up to do. And what's his message? How can people get ready? Repent. One of the commentators, I think it's Michael Green in the Bible Speaks Today series says, this message shook the state. John caused a stir with his message, repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Preaching repentance is unpopular. We like to hear nice things and encouraging things and even challenging things, but to be told to repent, that's not quite the same. But it's a vital part of gospel ministry. Did you know that's how the Lord Jesus Christ began his ministry? If you went on to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Did you know that was how Peter preached at Pentecost? Acts 2, verse 38, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And did you know that was how Paul preached at Athens in Acts 17 verse 30? God commands all people everywhere to repent, for he set a day in which he will judge the world. And isn't that how John addresses the lukewarm church at Laodicea? So be earnest and repent. In fact, five of the seven churches addressed in those early chapters of Revelation are told, churches told, to repent. And isn't that what Job, righteous Job, said and did after listening to the Lord? Job 42 verse 6, Now my eyes have seen you, therefore I despise myself. And repent in dust and ashes. Repentance means a right about turn. It reminded me of uh, when I was due to preach at Lansing Tabernacle in Sussex. Many years ago we were living in Loughton in Essex. I'd made a huge model of a Rubik's Cube for the children's talk. Too big for the boot. It went on the back seat and was covered in a blanket. And I left early so I could sneak it in the church without the kids seeing it. I was driving along quite happily until it suddenly struck me. I'm going the wrong way. Well, what do you do when you're going the wrong way? Well, if you're sensible, you turn round. And that's what I did. Fortunately, having left early... I still arrived on time, though not as early as I wanted. When Mrs. Thatcher was Prime Minister and was prevailed upon to change her mind, she famously said, you turn if you want to. The lady's not for turning. 
Well, that may be all right for politicians and policies. It's not all right for people facing the living God. We are told to turn around, to repent. Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 3, Unless you repent, you too will perish. What solemn words. Repentance is more than just saying sorry, though it includes it. Repentance involves our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. It's more than remorse, or regret, or sorrow because we've been found out. It's a complete turnaround, a radical change of mind and heart and life. Repentance means recognizing the awfulness of our sin and our failure in the sight of God and turning from sin and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need a change, a change of mind. The people who listened to Peter in Acts 2 verse 37 were told they were cut to the heart when they heard the preaching of the gospel and the Spirit of God brought conviction of sin What shall we do? It led to a confession of sin with their words. I was interested in the comments by Charles Price in another commentary I read, who said the only way sin leaves the body is through the mouth. Own up. Confess. Seek God. Put it right. 1 John 1 9 says, If, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There it is. That's the way. You see, the glorious gospel message is that Christ died for our sins. He took our sins in his own body on the tree. He bore our punishment. He died in our place. He shed his precious blood for us. And he invites us to turn to him and and to trust in him. And such trust and such repentance means a transformed life. Jesus said in this passage in Matthew 3 and verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You should show it by a different life, by their fruits you will know them is what the Lord Jesus Christ said elsewhere. This was John's message. Fearlessly preach to all, high and low, rich and poor, important and unimportant. Bishop Ryle again comments, John taught the absolute necessity of repentance before anyone can be saved. Have you repented? You see, that brings me on to the next thing, which is a response. The second section of this passage, Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 to 12, shows a response. A response is required. A response was seen to the preaching of John the Baptist in these verses. There are two types of response here, aren't there? There's, There's the response of the crowds... Verse 5, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. What a sight that must have been to see 
hundreds, maybe more than that, thousands flocking to the Jordan to hear John preach and then being struck by the Spirit of God and made aware of their need and turning from their sin in true repentance and showing that by being baptized in the river Jordan. One of the commentators says it was like a revival. Although we might see more of that in our day. But the contrast here is seen in the religious leaders. We read in Matthew 3 again, but when he saw, John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's not a way to keep your congregation, is it? You brood of vipers. A viper apparently is a small snake easily mistaken for dead branches but very poisonous. Deceitful, cunning and poisonous. What a challenge to those Pharisees and Sadducees then. And what a challenge to us. They, of course, wanted to argue they were all right because they got Abraham for their father, as you have in these verses. And that happens today, doesn't it? People want to trust in other things rather than repenting and turning to Christ. Well, my parents were Christians. Isn't that all right? Well, I go to church on a Sunday generally. Isn't that okay? Well, I've been baptized. Doesn't that make me a Christian? Well, I live a decent life, don't I? Isn't that enough? No, no, no. Good though those things are, they do not save. The call is to repent and to turn to Christ. And John the Baptist is is fearsome in his preaching here as he challenges those Pharisees and Sadducees and points them to the Lord Jesus. After me will come one, he's talking of Christ, who will gather his wheat into barns and burn up the chaff. What a challenge. It's a challenge to you and to me. We need to repent, a response is required. The crowds on the day of Pentecost, when they listened to Peter preaching, cried out, what shall we do? And the answer was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance is called for if we would come to Christ for salvation. If you're not a sinner, you don't need a saviour. For the Bible says, like it or not, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us there is none righteous, no, not one, not me, not you. Have you repented and trusted Christ as Saviour? Repentance is called for as we walk with Christ because we fail so often. We don't like to admit it. But how easily we sin and fail, we spoil, we mess up, we get it wrong. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds displease God. 
I wouldn't want the thoughts and words and actions of my life in this past week all put up on that screen. Because I've sinned and failed. And so have you. Repentance is called for. But gloriously, 1 John 1 verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us, that means continues to cleanse us from all sin. I looked again at the words of the general confession. Almighty and most merciful Father, we've erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy laws. We've left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. You see yourself as a miserable offender? Starts there, doesn't it? One of the hymns I love is an Isaac Watts hymn. It's not sung perhaps much these days, it's an old hymn. But it, it finds an echo in my heart. The first verse begins, Show pity, Lord. O Lord, forgive. Let a repenting rebel live. Are not thy mercies large and free? May not a sinner trust in thee. And my heart hears heaven shout, Yes! Yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, the Lord Jesus saves. That hymn was based on Psalm 51, which was David's penitent prayer after his sin and failure. Psalm 51 begins, Have mercy on me, O God, According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. We're to keep short accounts with God. Are you right with God today? 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells us, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. So our text, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, there's a third section, and really it answers the question, why? How often we ask why about all sorts of things. And the question comes to us today, why? Why repent? And in this third section, a reason is given for us. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What are you talking about? Well, this section shows Jesus coming. It is a pointer to him and a reminder of him. And he is revealed. The term kingdom of heaven, which is only used in, in Matthew's gospel, means the same as the kingdom of God. Apparently the word kingdom is the second most used words on the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ recorded for us. 
A kingdom has a king. A kingdom is where the king reigns. This is speaking of the kingly rule of the Lord Jesus. He is the coming king. The king is about to set up his kingdom. Not territory, not land, but an eternal kingdom in the hearts and lives of those who put their trust in him. The time is near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It means is at hand, or right now, or this is it. Because suddenly, as we see at the end of this chapter again, verse 13 begins, Then Jesus came. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared. And John the Baptist meets him. John the Baptist reluctantly baptizes him. Jesus says, let it be so to fulfill all righteousness, which means this is the right thing to do in line with God's purposes. We have the testimony of heaven with the Holy Spirit coming like a dove upon the Lord Jesus and the Father in heaven speaking. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Our Lord Jesus has come to begin his ministry, his saving, his life transforming ministry. Jesus still comes to save and to keep. He came to me when I was eight, a boy of eight. I've been to Sunday school a few years by then, but it was a children's mission in South Woodford at Grove Road Mission where the Lord Jesus touched my heart. I saw I was a sinner and asked him to be my saviour. He still comes and saves. One of the delights for me of working at Wycliffe Bible Translators a couple of days a week is reading stories of people who having the Bible in their own language for the first time suddenly see it. The gospel message and see their sin and see Christ who saves sinners. And lovely testimonies come out from time to time of changed lives by those who have met with the Lord Jesus Christ. Has he come to you? Or will you this morning open your heart and life to him? Repent and trust in Christ who saves and keeps those who put their trust in him. Jesus still comes to churches. It's interesting, isn't it, that Revelation 3.20, the Laodicean church, that's told to repent, hears this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. May we know the presence of the Lord Jesus in our church and fellowship here continually. May we keep short accounts with him. And Jesus is coming again. There's a future aspect here, isn't there? He who came, he who died on the cross to save sinners like me, he who rose again and ascended into glory is coming again. Surely that's best of all. Acts 1.11, this same Jesus, these are the words of the angels to disciples who are looking up into heaven, For the Lord Jesus has been taken up in the clouds. This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Or read the last chapter in the Bible. 
Revelation 22. And three times in that final chapter, the Lord Jesus says, Yes, I am coming soon. And verse 20 ends with that, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I'll read 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, that tremendous passage which reminds us the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout, with the trumpet call of God, the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be forever with the Lord. That's glorious. That's encouraging. That's tremendous. If we're ready. So back to our text. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Here today. Are you ready? Jesus said this in Matthew 24. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Two little stories, and I close. When I was a boy, Sunday school anniversaries were big things. I met a huge uh, meeting on a Saturday night with all sorts of kids taking part, and services on Sunday as well. We all were buttonholes in those days, boys and girls. And there was uh, always a prize giving. And if you've been 50 out of 52 Sundays in the year to Sunday school, you got a first class prize. Which was always a book. And I guess I didn't have many books in those days. We're going back to the 1940s. And uh, I always read my Sunday school prize. They were always Christian books. The Christian message. And uh, one book I got, and it's gone, I've lost it somewhere over the years, so this is memory now, okay, was called Daddy's Sword. And it was a collection of short gospel stories. And, and the last chapter was called The Cleanest Day in Their Lives. And it was a story of a couple of kids whose uh, father had been away for some time and was coming home by a train. And uh, mum spruced them all up, you know, tidily, and said, now you can go to the station and wait, but make sure you keep yourselves clean and tidy. And the kids went early morning for the first train, and they waited, no father on the train. Next train, no dad. Lunchtime came. No father came, they nipped home for some lunch uh, and back to the station. And uh, it was on the last train that their dad came. But they were spick and span, they were clean, they'd not messed about, they were waiting for their father. That's a lesson for us, isn't it? It was to me as a kid in those days and challenges me now. Keep clean, repent, put it right. And the other story is this. My first church in Shrewsbury, near the church was a, a, a little crescent called Massey Crescent and there were a number of old people's bungalows in it. I thought about this uh, when we were sing, singing carols the, uh, the other day because Christmas we went round the street singing carols as a church. 
We surprised people because we didn't go to collect money. We went to give out invitations to church and uh, just to make a bit of the gospel known. And uh, we used to end up in Massey Crescent. Then Massey Crescent was one of our church members. I was 22. And she was well in her 80s. To me, she was ancient. Doesn't quite seem like that these days. I get a bit nearer. But... uh, She was lovely. She couldn't get out to church. She was too frail. But she'd have us all in after singing carols. And the ladies of the church would take over her kitchen. And we'd sit there and we'd drink uh, tea and eat mince pies, good mince pies. And uh, it was a good time. But I thought of her, Mrs. Price, her name. When I used to visit her, she'd be sitting in her chair by the fire. And she'd be facing her window. And she'd often say to me, John, when I sit here and I look through the window and I see the clouds, I think, is he coming today? Is he coming today? And she lived in the expectation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's coming again. And that's glorious. He's coming to take his people home to heaven eternally. And that's wonderful. And the best is yet to be. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more pain. No more suffering. No more frailty. No more weakness. No more failure. No more sin. No more death. To be forever with the Lord. Isn't that tremendous? So, back to my question at the start. Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts and all about us. You see our sin and our failure, how vile and awful it is. And Lord Jesus, you went all the way to Calvary for that. You died in our place guilty, vile and helpless we spotless lamb of God was he full atonement can it be hallelujah what a saviour Lord Jesus you rose again and one day you're coming again Your coming is drawing near. Help us to repent of sin, to keep short accounts, and to live clean lives until that great day. Lord Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.